Alright, and welcome to the Rory's Nitro podcast, the show that rips up the buy rates and TV ratings and declares our own winner in some of pro wrestling's biggest head-to-head battles. I'm your host, Lee Carlos Cunningham, joined once again by Richie Von Sexington to go back to the 90s. How's things, Richie? Fantastic. Another non-painful set of wrestling to review, which always puts me in a fine mood. Yeah, a bit of a step down from before, but it's still a quick show, a breeze, and lots of fun little tidbits, enough to keep you going anyway, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I noticed a slight drop, but not enough to make me wish I'd never taken up watching wrestling as a hobby. I'm starting to actually get worried because as we watch um, WCW and we get closer and closer to their pay-per-view, I'm like, oh, yes, we're going to be able to do Super Brawl and the 93 Rumble. And I'm like, oh, these might not be as good as I'm thinking they are based off these Raws and and, uh, Saturday nights. (coughs) Yeah, I'm I'm lucky that I don't have any uh, background knowledge on, I think, at least the WCW side of things. So, I mean, it's been a while since I've let least the Venom, so. Yeah, we can't have it all our own way. They wouldn't be, it wouldn't, if, if nobody would listen to a podcast that was uh, set in the golden era of wrestling and didn't uh, at least take the piss. <laughs> right you are there. Um, and we're going to look at Raw from February 1, 1993 and Saturday night from the 30th of January, 1993. Um, two fine shows again. Which one did you watch first, Richie? I watched Raw for a change. I think I usually go WCW. Raw. I watched Raw first. So should we head on over and see what they have to offer in the early 90s? Bring on some Bartlett. The show starts off, as usual, with the Raw intro, the Sirens, and then the three-man announced team of Vince McMahon, Rob Bartlett, and the Macho Man, Randy Savage. Um, some more comedy gold coming from this trio, I'm sure. I thought Bartlett was slightly more subdued this week. I'm not saying he was any good, but I think he settled a little bit better. As a quick sidebar before we get too far into it, did you hear Rob Bartlett on OSW Review on one of the not-too-distant-past shows? I did not. Oh, you've got to check it out. He's actually quite funny. He's pretty, he seems pretty self-aware, like he's making fun of himself on the show. I think they tried because he was on, like, say that he wasn't so bad, and I think he just went, no, it was pretty fucking shit or something to that effect from memory. I, yeah, I think he took the job and then realised he was woefully out of depth and wrestling fans are not open. Dude, for a for, uh, uh, sort of like a product that wants acceptance in the mainstream wrestling fans don't like any from them, anything from the mainstream entering their wrestling. That is definitely true. And um, speaking of taking a job that you're not equipped to do, it's the first contest to Tanka taking on Damien Demento, who is definitely not a jobber, but he does get a jobber entrance. Yeah. If, if, uh, if he wasn't a jobber, he's very soon entering the jobber line. Oh, absolutely. Um, and Rob Bartlett does get one tick of the box this week because he, Macho, and Vince actually nail the uncooked, uncut, uncensored line that they've been butchering for the first three episodes. I know that. I thought it's, it's only, I'd have thought Vince would have them practicing it uh, sort of like in the arena for like four hours beforehand. But yeah. 
There you go. The match gets started with a hip toss from Tatanka and a slam. Um, Demento with a big clothesline, but whiffs on an elbow. Tatanka still sells it because it's early 93 and they're not great wrestlers. <laughs> Rob Bartlett says um, when he was a kid, he used to have some of... Um, so he said he used to have some of... I've completely lost my notes now. Oh, some of his trucks talking about Tatanka, you know, Tonka trucks. <laughs> That's why I made note of that. When I was a kid, I used to have some of his trucks. It was actually mildly amusing. It was, uh, I liked it. It just took a little bit too much thinking when you're watching wrestling to, to go, what's he going on about? We used to Jerry Lawler's tags here, not, not, not ones that you have to think about. Yeah, a bit too clever. <laughs> um, the crowd, as this match is ending, give us a We Want Flair chant, and that's got to be brutal to Vince, who's just sent him backing a week ago. Yeah, I heard that, and I thought... That, I, you, you, if there's many, if there's anything you drop the ball on, I think sending Flair back to the opposition and saying you weren't going to push him wasn't a great idea, Vince. Especially not right around the same time you're bringing back Bob Backlund. Like, if you're going to have one wrestler in their forties, don't take Bob Backlund over Ric Flair. Yeah, yeah, it's like there's no comparison. Match finishes with Tatanka hitting his Samoan drop finisher for the one, two, three, and he remains undefeated. From there, we go into a little um, package on the headlock of hunger, which was a thing they only really did this one time, I believe. Um, we see Bret Hart giving a, you know, the big oversized hundred thousand dollar check to the Red Cross, and the advert for the headlock on hunger. Vince making himself feel better and probably getting a tax break. Oh, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. Um, speaking of Vince, he's he's up next in the ring to introduce Brutus the Barber Beefcake, who has an important announcement to make. He comes out and tells us all he's back in action, and then gives us his pretty horrible life story of both his parents dying, his wife leaving him in the boating accident, and um, we legitimately, as Beefcake is pouring his heart out, um, Kevin Dunn and his crack production team panda a guy in the crowd picking his nose right on camera. <laughs> it was um, just... <laughs> Awful. It wasn't great. The thing was, right, for the first and maybe only time that I've watched the beefer, he actually was saying something with something with conviction, but then he kept chucking Hulk Hogan in it, and I'm like, stop it. Just, you've got to, if you're going to use life uh, to, to come into your wrestling persona, you've got one of the greatest stories for a baby face or even a heel could, could use. Uh, but he still cocks it up. I mean, yeah, some of, of that's probably booking, but it, the minute he mentions Hulk Hogan, I'm like, he didn't, he don't, don't do that. Of course, it's um, Hulk that was his big friend when he, in his time of need, and then he issues an open contract to anybody in the WWF and end scene. So, Beef is back and looking for a match. It, it, I, I, like I said, I thought the promo had something i was genuinely interested in his his story i know it's not great for him it was shitty but you know these shitty things make good stories and uh he could have been a heel playing up on the metal plates in his head so he couldn't be hurt or you know a baby face when he gets you know his head gets hurt he, he causes him massive more pain than anyone else but he keeps going and and then he, he didn't he just sort of like Screwed it for himself. 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, I don't think we're going to like where this angle goes, but um, we will wait and see because we're going to get a, a quick update on it pretty soon. It's like when Austin came back when he broke his neck uh, in 97. And, but instead of let be doing those promos where it's like, let me wrestle, let me do this, I'm Stone Cold Steve Austin, he'd come back and said, yeah, and when I hurt my neck, uh, I'm trying to think, he didn't really have any mates on the roster, but, you know, so-and-so came up and spoke to me and held my hand and got through it. It's like, yeah, it probably wouldn't have worked. Probably not. Because <laughs> if you think about it, he's lost his lost both parents, had his face smashed in and got divorced. Right? That make you pretty mad at life. Channel that. Yeah. You, yeah, absolutely. Well, anyway, mad or which, single. Is, <laughs> go on. You just can't fix the beefer. I was going to say, either that or he's single now, so he's got every excuse to get out on the coke with his brother, brother. Yeah. Oh, we go to our next match, which is High Energy, a, um, a, a team I've got a soft spot for. I didn't love them, but I, I, I kind of liked them as a kid. Up against Von Cruz and Iron Mike Sharp, one of the elite jobbers. We're talking creme de la creme of de la job. <laughs> we get a Mike Sharp shoulder block before Owen Hart comes back with a drop kick. Uh, then we get a high double backdrop and the finishes from the faces, which is the setup of the heart attack. But instead of um, Anvil coming off the ropes with a clothesline, it's Coco coming off the top with a missile drop kick. And that's enough for the one, two, three in a short but non offensive affair. It was good. I wanted to see more, but I guess that's the point of these matches at this point. Probably if Indeed. I had to sit through three segments of it on Raw, I'd wish it would end. But. Uh... No, it was good. The missus point out that Peter K does look uh, sorry, Owen Hart does look like Peter K in a wig. Oh, I don't know if I'll ever unsee that now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Garlic bread. Take that as you will. <laughs> oh my god. I mean I'm not one for conspiracy theories, but Owen did want to get out of wrestling and Peter K did appear in the two thousands, just saying. <laughs> yeah. I'm just gonna put this out there that I think if Owen Hart wanted to get out of the public life and retreat to somewhere more secluded, I probably wouldn't pick Bolton as my first choice. <laughs> uh, that's that's what he wants you to think. <laughs> cute, cute. All, all, the, um, all the northerners having a go at me at some point in the near future. <laughs> I'm staying out of it. <laughs> I'm a northerner too, just Manchester's not quite as far as Bolton. <laughs> I live in the north. I'm kind of Midlands from born so uh, i like to think i have a northern attitude <laughs> we next go to our featured contest the match that vince made us wait to come back from commercial break just to tell us about it's doink versus typhoon i could have lived without this <laughs> that is an understatement <laughs> oh man Doink attacks Typhoon with some single leg takedowns and an elbow. Doink gets a Doink chant from the crowd, so this is a definite heel-favouring crowd, but I can't see any baby face potential in Typhoon at all, so I definitely don't blame them. Doink's a great uh, great wrestler. He really, um, this version of Doink is really, really good, the early Doink. Um, Typhoon goes for a few power moves, um, but he's definitely having rings wrestled around him. He hits a power slam. But Doink hits a second rope clothesline and hooks the tights for the one, two, three, picking up the big victory over Typhoon. And 
Doink gets right in there, right in the gooch. It's not where I'd want to be. It's not where I would have been. Definitely not. <laughs> not with a big sweaty man like Typhoon, it is not. No. So, I mean, this is the level we're at. We've had Damien Demento, I'm Mike Shark, and now Typhoon jobbing to Doink. Quality is dropping somewhat. Yeah, definitely not a banner episode, this one so far. Um, speaking of things that are not great, we go to a Mania ad for um, with with um, Todd Pettengill, sorry. It's not, like, not WrestleMania, the show WWF Mania. I hate these WWF Mania ads, and the very early version of Todd Pettengill annoyed the shit out of me. I did grow to like him later, but not quite yet. Nah, it's all a bit shite, really. We then go to a 10-bell salute for the recently deceased Andre the Giant. Uh, this is quite sad. I remember this really upsetting me as a as a small kid when I got the WWF magazine and found out Andre had passed away. Um, no internet back then, people. So, yes, it did take me a few months to, to find this news out. Um, but they told the bell 10 times for him, and I'm pretty certain Andre is the sole inductee into the first-ever Hall of Fame class, which is a well-deserved honour for the big man. This is very classy. Which is an odd thing to say, given uh, the WWF's way of dealing with things. But no, I thought it was really classy. Even more so because he had left. <clears throat> I can't remember if he left under a little bit of... Uh, I think he wanted more from his contract and didn't get it and ended up in WCW for, for a hiccup. But it was nice to see. Yeah, absolutely. I think he kind of left, came back, left, came back, and I think he was on back on the outs again at this point. Um, and he did appear on a, um, a Clash of the Champions, I think. It was like a legend show or something. So he just appeared in the crowd. He didn't do anything. He was at a dinner or something. But, yeah, I'm pretty sure that pissed Vince off at the time. Yeah, well, given his reaction to Macho leaving, I would say, uh, yes, probably did piss Vince off. Promotional consideration paid for by the following. New WWF figure. Give you the power of Hulkamania, the knockout Prince of Virgil, the audacity of IRS, and the madness of the Macho Man. Collect new WWF figures now. Sold separately. Dig it. We then go to an Ica Pro commercial before going into a brilliant ad for the WWF Hasbro figures. Um, on the fence at the moment about restarting a collection of those. I've got about 30 of them, but some of them are way up there in price now, so... It's uh, amazing the uh, the amount of sort of like models and toys and uh, that are out there now for collection and the prices, given how many of them will have been just chucked around and done in uh, sorry outdoor rings in mud. Yeah, absolutely. Um, some of them not in great condition and still go for big prices on eBay. I do not intend on buying them and having to repaint them myself because that is not my forte. No, no, it's... Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm glad I don't uh, really have the collection bug because when I go into these things, I generally go in hard. Uh, yeah, <laughs> that, that would be me. <laughs> um, we then go to a commercial for Slim Jim before going to another main event caliber match, Yokozuna taking on Bobby DeVito. I, I thought uh, Bobby had a chance here. <laughs> you were the only one. Rob Bartlett tells us that Macho Man was the only man to ever knock over Yokozuna at the Royal Rumble, and Vince McMahon denies it for some reason, but no, Macho definitely had Yoko down for the big elbow. Uh, Vince does not like his version of history to be moot changed, does he? 
Oh, so he changes he it. He does He does not. Uh, we're going to go Gozuna super kick, and then Hacksaw phones up. Uh, this is not going to be good. <laughs> Yoko hits a belly to belly and a leg drop. Hacksaw says that he can knock that Yakazuma down. And we get a bonsai for the one, two, three. Um, Hacksaw chats a bunch more shit, but I can't understand a word he says between his accent and this phone line. So overall, a bit of a wasted segment for me. What did you think? Oh, yeah, it was entirely pointless. I mean, Hacksaw on the telephone at that point is probably like Hacksaw using Zoom now. He just doesn't really have a clue. <laughs> oh, man. I'm not sure I'd answer if I knew Hacksaw was phoning me, to be honest. <laughs> I... I just, I, I think there are better. If you're going to do the phone thing, it has to be someone who's, uh, who, who's more articulate. It's not necessarily a knock against Hacksaw, but Hacksaw's a lot about grunting, saying yo, ho, and sticking his thumb up. Now that, that none of that comes across well on a telephone call. Whereas if you had someone who's uh, good on promos, say you know DiBiase, even maybe the Hulkster, it, it, it'll work far better. Absolutely. And speaking of Ted DiBiase, we've got uh, Vince McMahon with Money Inc. now, who recite Humpty Dumpty and then That's... challenge Brutus Beefcake. Sorry, go on. Up, doesn't he? he just I, I can't remember. I listened to it and I was like, he's definitely fucked that up. <laughs> I'll take your word for it. I might try and splice it in, hey? Something that he doesn't rhyme. He gets the last two lines wrong. I'm sure he does. You come out here to a capacity crowd. What do you hear? The only thing that bothers me, McMahon, is an empty bank account, and I'll never have that. All right, gentlemen, you asked for this time. Go ahead. What do you have to say? Humpty Dumpty sat on the wall. Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. But all the king's men and all the king's horses couldn't put Humpty back together again. <laughs> okay, and what's that supposed to mean? It's very simple, McMahon. My partner, Erwin, and I are sitting back in the back, and we saw Brutus the Barber Beefcake come out here and pour out that sweet sob story. And I'll have to admit, it's a pretty sad story. The guy loses his mother... Then he loses his father. Then he loses his wife. And if that's not bad enough, he gets his face smashed. And that's bad. But I'm here to say that when you got your face smashed, Beefcake, you knocked a screw loose. Pardon the pun. <laughs> because for you to come out here after three years of never being in the ring and op offer an open challenge to any wrestler in the World Wrestling Federation... You got a lot of gall. That's like a slap in the face. So let's cut through all the small talk and get to the point. You want a match? We'll give you a match. Why don't you start out with a champion? And you got your choice of two right here, the World Wrestling Federation Tag Team Champions. Both of us would like to have a shot at you. So you take your pick. No, better yet, Erwin, let's do this the Democratic way because I know you want the shot too. Let's flip a coin. Have you got a coin? All right, well, you'll know right about now. 
They then flip a coin um, to determine who is going to face him. Ted wins. Jimmy Hart's not happy about all this and just wants it all to stop. But it looks like we've got a match set for, I think, next week. Yep. I mean, how much are you looking forward to that? Cannot 1993. wait. 1993. And then, <laughs> and then we have a battle of the bodies. It's Narcissus versus the sexiest man alive. Yeah, Lex Luger versus the future Jason Knight. Yeah, ECW stalwart. Lex Luger's um, posing is interrupted by one of the the larger ladies that carries the Raw sign. Um, these girls, I think, appeared on. I think I think it's a couple of sisters, but there's only one of them in the ring at this time. They were on the Bobby Heenan show a few years prior to this, um, and he's not happy about that. Then before the match starts, we go to a Mr. Perfect throwing the football vignette. Um, I'm sure we've all seen and remember this one quite fondly where he throws the, you know, the massive pass up the field and runs and catches it himself, um, which completely disproves the theory from, um, I can't remember what the character's name is, but from Goal, if you've ever seen that movie, where the, the coach imparts the wisdom on the, on the young player that you can't outrun the ball. You know what? I'll have to take your word on that one. <laughs> there's got to be a very, very niche market for people that listen to this podcast and have seen Goal. Quite possibly. <laughs> if, more, if, if one person tells me they're in that category, I will jump for joy. You'll paint one of their models for <laughs> yeah. We go back to the match and Lex hits a big clothesline as Macho Man tells us that Brutus has accepted the Money Inc. challenge. We get a, another whiffed clothesline and some guy in the crowd yells out, you missed him. <laughs> Absolutely. Yes, he did. Completely whiffled it. He um, pins him with a um, oh, with a he pins him with a pinky for the one two three. I was like, that doesn't make any sense. No, he does. He actually just puts his pinky on him to pin him. So the very arrogant cover. Lex Luger picks up the simple victory. Not not a bad way of uh, using a squash to Lex's advantage. We're not prime Lex in ninety seven, ninety six, ninety seven, where you. You can't help oddly like him, even though you know it's Lex Luger, but it was all right. It was, it was. Um, and then from there, we go to a commercial, and when we come back, we find out there's no Raw next week. What are we going to do? I, I mean, we could watch the dog show if we could find it. <laughs> WCW against the Westminster dog show. Oh, my God. <laughs> now, that would be a niche audience that wants to hear that. <laughs> well, uh, there you go. That's the... Uh... German Shepherd, he's called uh, Iron Thor. I think he's being pushed uh, a little bit too hard. Word is Vince is keen on him. Audience isn't. <laughs> the, the poodle takes a piss on stage and that gets our dick move of the week. <laughs> 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 oh, my God. Um, at least this time, when they come back from commercial and sell us on, like, not next week, but the two weeks' time, the matches, they sound a little bit more intriguing. It's dead... At dead, Ted DiBiase versus Brutus Beefcake, which um, they've at least got some storyline build around, and a 16-man battle royal. So that sounds better than this show. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I know that pretty much every battle royal in history is kind of rubbish, but it's the kind of rubbish I can get behind. Oh, absolutely. I love a battle royal. So there's something to look forward to on the next episode of Raw, um, which will be 
two weeks from this one. So skip a week on WCW unless we find something else to put it against. And that's the halfway point of the show. So we need to take a quick trip down memory lane. What I thought we might do today is just give off like a little list of our top two or three wrestling books. Have you read many wrestling books, Richie? Uh, yeah, yeah, I have. Um, uh, not a vast uh, array of authors, so I think you can guess which ones I've read. But I've, I've read enough to be able to do this. Okay, so, so I, I, um, I'm going to guess, have you read Mick Foley and Bret Hart? Mick Foley... Yeah, I think I've read two of... I know they go down in quality. Uh, so I definitely yeah, I've read... Every have step nice, of the way. Nice, I think it's every... Have a nice day was his first. So I've read that, that one. Bret Hart's book I thought was good. Although, I mean, Bret Hart does like to talk about Bret Hart and how many ladies Bret Hart slept with while Bret Hart was being the world champion of being Bret Hart. Aye. Uh, <laughs> and... Uh, uh, to my much, uh, I guess. I guess the third probably would be, although it's, it's disputed. How correct it is? I do uh, enjoy the uh, is it the death of WCW book? Yeah, that's a good one. I've read that a few times um, by um, R.D. Reynolds, the guy that runs WrestleCrap. That's a, a really good book, actually. And uh, for my sins, I did read the Rock book, which is oddly enjoyable but absolutely terrible oh it's awful it's only beaten by chiders for being absolute shite i i that was the point because foley was the first time i was like oh, i'll read a wrestler's book and obviously that first one is a, a you know a pretty well written book certainly uh it comes across a lot nicer in that book than i think he does in some of his later ones i think the later books he just come across as a bit money grabbing a bit yeah definitely bit of a dick uh and definitely creepy around ladies but uh i'm my <laughs> go on. but uh yeah i think china's book was the first one i read the review like the review of and i was like uh they're starting to uh, kayfabe and just lying these so I'm, I'm i'm gonna tap out on most of them absolutely i still think for my money have a nice day is the best wrestling book ever written um but there are a few other good ones out there. I really did enjoy Brett's. I enjoyed Jericho's books, actually, as well. And one that I never hear get mentioned, but I really loved was actually Classy Freddy Blassie's book. I really enjoyed that. I thought he came across as quite intelligent and humble and honest throughout his book. Um, obviously, I'm not old enough to dispute anything on it, but it, it definitely came across as a really honest, refreshing take on the wrestling business and someone who had kept kayfabe all their life, breaking down kayfabe. So I, I really enjoyed that book. And if you're looking for an obscure, older wrestling book to read, I'd definitely recommend that one. If there was uh, one I probably would enjoy reading, probably would be uh, maybe Hardcore Hollies. 
Oh, that's a goodie as well. I've read that. It is really good. I've actually got like, I, I got a bookcase the other week and I've not got the wrestling books on it because it's filled. I actually own way more books than I thought I did. And I've read so many wrestling books that I forgot I even had them. But Hardcoholics is definitely up there as a really, really good one. I, some people like will go to town on him for being bitter. They're probably my favorite parts of the book when he gets receipts on other wrestlers. I loved it. I think he's, I've always been interested because it's an insight not into a, you can't argue that Hardcore Holly didn't have a successful career. He was on the roster for nearly 20 years, getting paid. So, Oh, absolutely. Like, I compare him to someone like a, a Dolph Ziggler nowadays, except he just didn't get that run with the belt. Yeah. And, and I think it's interesting to, to for the person that was there, then we're not talking like somebody who made it for three weeks or a couple of years. I mean, this is a guy who was in the system for that long, explaining why he never got pushed or why he felt he didn't get pushed or, you know, it, it, the career, the career person, why are you still there? Yeah, absolutely. So some good reading material for you. Um, if anyone is interested in any more um, and actually tweets me about it, I will go and look through all the rest of my books and jog my memory as to what other good ones are out there. So if anyone's looking for recommendations, hit us up on Twitter. For now, though, let's go and have a look at WCW Saturday Night from the 30th of January, 1993. Oh, yeah. Bring us on the WCW. Next on WCW Saturday Night, Tag Team Titans collide when world champion Big Van Vader and Barry Windham are challenged by Sting and the natural Dustin Rhodes. It's a battle of the bullies as the unpredictable barbarian tackles Mr. Wonderful Paul Orndorff. What does Big Van Vader mean by the white castle of fear? We'll find out more. And Tony Schiavone interviews the Dean of Wrestling Announcers, Gordon Soli. All this next on WCW Saturday Night. So after our introduction, we um, again get the, the usual commentary team of JR and Larry Zabisco, and we go into a promo from Shane Douglas and Ricky Steamboat hyping a match with the soon-to-be-named Hollywood Blondes. So definitely looking forward to that um, when we get to the pay-per-view. How about you, Richie? Yeah, I mean, this seems like, a, a on paper, a great uh, match to set up. And then, I mean, I don't know if I've got my timeline. I don't know if, I, if this follows on from... Uh, Steamboat versus Austin, or leads to Steamboat versus Austin. I'm a bit wobbly on the uh, on the feud. I think this is after, so there might be a bit of history as well. Yeah, I'm looking forward to finding out. Um, either way, I think this should be pretty good. But we start off Saturday night uh, match wise with Z-Man in singles action. This was bizarre. <laughs> yeah, it was. I'm, I'm assuming everybody by now understands what I mean when I say that he's taking on Chris Benoit. Uh, we get started out with some chain wrestling and a couple of drop kicks by the Z-Man. Benoit comes back with a knee lift and a backbreaker, a backdrop, and then gets uh, eats a, a super kick from Z-Man before Benoit comes back with a missile drop kick and the dragon suplex for the one, two, three, and the commentary team tell us he's still undefeated. I really like don't have memories of this early 90s Benoit WCW run, but he's looking pretty sharp here at the moment. I'm amazed watching these that he basically disappears via goes to Japan, goes to ECW, pops up in WCW uh, as not really that push. And it takes from this point seven years 
to get to like the radicals. And like I'm watching him here, and he's like wrestling wise, he's he doesn't change his wrestling style that much. It's not like he has much more to to like learn, and it's not like his promos ever got any better. No, I think his facials got better though. Like I think he he his style never really changed, but I think he added like not moves, but little subtleties to his repertoire and his facials and his aggression and things like that. And I think that's probably what really in the end, his intensity was what got him ahead. Um, but yeah, that's where we're at for now. He's, he's still definitely on the way there. And um, a bunch of roids and a, a couple of extra abs and biceps don't hurt either. Uh, yeah. And that's a slippery slope. Uh, once he started on those. Mm. Someone that wasn't looking so sharp, though, uh, Tony Schiavone interviews Max Payne, and he's got a terrible wordy promo. I think he might be quoting Megadeth lyrics, but I'm not a uh, a Megadeth fan personally, so I don't know if you recognize anything that he said in this oh, promo, but it was utter shite. He's definitely quoting Megadeth. And I, th- I think he does say something like, they wrote it for him, and it's like, no, they did not. David <laughs> Payne is, not is one of the most argumentative... Uh, blokes in uh, metal could possibly fall out with his own guitar he hasn't written you those lyrics but this guy oh I'm going to hate this guy for as long as he's around I just know it now <laughs> what the fuck is going on with his hair is that hair is it a wig it looks like it looks like something out of um, the Adams family made into an indie wrestling gimmick then put through a creator wrestler on a Gen 1 system. back after some brief technical difficulties where my computer crashed partway through the show, but we managed to keep the file of where we were up to, and we were pretty much just slagging off how bad Max Payne looked before we got so rudely interrupted. Max Payne is that bad he makes your computer crash. <laughs> yeah, there must have been a picture of him flash up or something. Um, we go to the Too Cold Scorpio music video, um, which is so bad it's good. I'll splice a little bit of it in, especially the dialogue taking the kids to school. It's cold, man. Shoot the ball. Man, I know I can make it, but my hands are cold. Man, you can't make it. You're gonna be late for school. Man, I can make it. Give me this ball. supposed to be in school? Nah, man, we going to the game room. What do you mean to the arcade? You guys need to be in school trying to get an education. Tell you what, I'll take you guys to school. Are we going to ride in the limousine? Nuh-uh. We're going to walk? Uh-uh. Let me tell you what we're going to do. We're going to step. Oh, 
you obviously won't be able to see this because it's an audio podcast, but telling the kids that are skipping school he's going to take them and then doing his step-in dance, they're going to be late anyway. You may as well have just let them have the day off. I mean, if they're skipping school and they're down playing uh, basketball, I think it is. I mean, we're not talking like half eight. What's two sco- cold Scorpio doing up at that time in the morning? It's got to be afternoon. <laughs> it's not fucking worth yeah. it. Take them down to arcade. <laughs> I'm with you on that one. When they go to our next match, which is Ron Hagen and Sergeant Buddy Lee Parker taking on Two Cold and Brad Armstrong. Two Cold starts us off with a drop kick and an arm drag. The crowd seem to like him at the moment. He's in pretty good popularity. Brad Armstrong comes in and works on the arm. And then Two Cold comes back in with a hip toss and a drop kick and a slam. A springboard leg drop gets him a two before Brad Armstrong comes in and finishes it off with a Russian leg sweep for the one, two, three. We go to commercial. Um, what did you think about that match? It's a bit short. It wasn't great, uh, but it was nice to see the little shit from the Louis Theroux uh, wrestling documentary lose, so I'll take that. <laughs> we then go from the commercial to a moment we've both been waiting for. It's the White Castle of Fear. Van Vader at Super Brawl 3. Here's what Sting has in store for him. Sting accepted an invitation to a party at the White Castle of Fear in the Rocky Mountains. The party... out soon enough. Come to the White Castle of Fear. Where is this castle of fear anyway? And play Vader's game! Where is this castle of fear? Stay. I've spotted the White Castle. If he does, you think he'll... 
Steve's here. Play the game. You again. Play the game. Steve, this is one game you're gonna lose. <laughs> There's something very familiar about all this. Who's the man? Vader. Who's the man? Vader. You're the man. Vader. Vader. <laughs> Vader. Nice place you have here. Reminds me of your personality. Cold. Very funny, Sting. <laughs> What's up? You're here to accept the challenge of Vader. Are you ready to play the game? All right, all right. So what's the game? Fuck! It's over! You know what a strap match is? Well, I'm gonna show you. Vader style. <laughs> Play the game! Play the game! It's the race! The strap! amazing it's the introspection of sting <laughs> it's brilliant we hear his thoughts during this video package could this be some sort of trap no dumb dummy vader's not flown you to a secluded castle in the middle of the rocky mountains for like a dinner date of course it's a trap you moron it's it couldn't be more of a trap if it tried <laughs> they um they get him up there to play a tug of war over a pit of fire. Um, but then the main event at Super Brawl sadly gets called off when they both explode and come to their bitter end. Uh, it's such a shame. I know, we're going to have to scramble. Maybe we can see if um, Beefer can hurry up and finish his feud with DiBiossi in time to get across. Yeah, I mean, Onky Tonk must be uh, on the out somewhere. Get him in. <laughs> this was so bad, but it was... Oh, so good. <laughs> uh, it's amazing. The worst part of it is, I believe that means they're in a strap match. Yeah, yeah, I think you might be right. This takes us out to another commercial. And when we come back, JR is interviewing uh, a very young Steve Regal, a.k.a. William Regal. 
And he cuts a bland babyface promo. This was something I didn't expect to see. I just assume he was always a heel in WCW. Yeah, how uh, Regal is a heel until he's comp- uh, funny enough that he just accidentally turns face. This was definitely not that. So, going to be interesting to see the evolution of Steve Regal here in WCW. Or for WCW, we just won't see him for another six months. I mean, either could happen. Oh, you're absolutely right. We then go to our next match, which is Rip Rogers and Scotty Flamingo, a.k.a. Raven, taking on Marcus Alexander Bagwell and the well and truly overpushed Eric Watts. Yeah, this there's two people in this match that I really want to see, and they don't have the surname Watts. <laughs> and probably... I mean, Rip Rogers is interesting just because uh, he can be quite foul-mouthed on Twitter, which is... Interesting, but just give me Johnny Flamingo. Uh, give me uh, Flamingo, Scotty Flamingo. Johnny Flamingo, that's his brother. Give me Scotty <laughs> Flamingo versus. Uh, oh God, I forgot it was on the other side. Buff. Uh, the match itself isn't that long. Uh, Bagwell hits a drop kick. Sc- Scotty hits a back elbow. Uh, we get a double underhook from Eric Watts and a dragon whip, and he locks in that dreaded STF to pick up the one, two, three. If it's enough to put Arn Anderson down at the petrol station, it's definitely enough to pick up the winner's share of the purse money. Yeah, he's going all the way to the pay window with that. He's just got nothing. It's like a guy just doing some moves. Yeah, he's just very bland. We then go... Um, we have a really awful jump cut. We go to JR with the Rock and Roll Express who cut a, a pretty shitty promo. But it just piqued my interest because I, I heard them mention something about WCW Slam Jam and I actually went to YouTube and I found the segment that's cut. It's Leonard Skinner talking about Slam Jam, the album, or you know, briefly mentioning it while talking about other things. So I've got the, the clip of that. I'm going to play it for everybody right now. I'm very excited to be standing beside a two men that need no introduction. Distinguished guests, longtime friends of Freebird, Michael PSA. It's the inspiration behind the world-famous song, Freebird. Two members of Leonard Skinner, Johnny Van Zant and Gary Rosington. Guys, thanks a lot for spending time. Oh, thank you. You're going to be our experts for Slam Jam 1. I know you're excited about that. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, and we want to hear it in the meantime. Okay, and I want to talk about your album. You've got an album coming out on the 15th. It's called The Last Rebel. We've been working on it real, real hard, and uh, mm-hmm. we hope everybody out there gets it and enjoys it as much as we do. Yeah, and, and Gary, you have a big pay-per-view coming up to the Fox, I understand. Tell us about that. Yeah, uh, it's going to be aired the 19th, but we're playing there three days. It's uh, 17th, 18th, and 19th. So everybody come out there and see us, and uh, if you don't, <laughs> we'll, we'll be there to see you. Yeah. <laughs> Johnny, got some surprise guests? Yeah, right? we have Travis Tritt. We have Donnie Van Zandt, my brother, 38 Special. Right, yeah. We have uh, Zach Wilder from Ozzy Osbourne's band. And Tom Kiefer. Tom Kiefer from Cinderella. Peter Frampton. Peter Frampton. And uh, Charlie Daniels. We have just a bunch of people going. It's going to be a good time. And we're looking forward to it. So everybody get out there and see that too. A longtime friend, as we said, of Michael P.S. Hayes. And certainly you've seen the, the man in action in the yeah, rings with. <laughs> hey, anytime, any place, anywhere, <laughs> guys. I, I want to thank you for your time. Now, thank fans, you. don't forget that the album, The Last Rebel, comes out on the fifteenth, and then, of course, you'll see them in the Fox on pay per view as well. And don't forget, starting tomorrow night here on the main event, our expert guests will be here as well, right. and we'll be taking your calls to vote for the best song on Slam Jam One. Yeah, that's WCW up close this week. I'm Tony Schiavone. 
so yeah, a little bit of extra bonus content there, but um, I was it piqued my interest and I went and found it. Nothing to write home about, but WWE Network can't stop us. No. Did you uh, say here that the Rock and Roll had lost their belts because it was so like their belts being defended in another territory and uh, they haven't got the smoky wrestling belts anymore? I didn't even pick up on that. Honestly, the Rock and Roll Express, I, I think I said it on the last episode, I'm just that little bit too young to believe these guys were ever any good. I, yeah, yeah, I think it's it's a time and a place thing. Speaking of tag teams that are no good, we go to Wrecking Crew versus Rex Cooper and Rick Ryder. Rick Ryder sounds more like a condom brand than a job name, but that's just me. Hey, have you got your Rick Riders? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Rage hits a big clothesline A big choke slam. sorry We see the Rock and Roll Expresser in the crowd We get shoulder blocks from Fury And then the Wrecking Ball finisher for a three In quite a dud before we go to a commercial break Oh, it's just wank Wrecking Crew Aren't the Steiners Aren't uh, the Road Warriors Aren't Demolition They're not even Fire and Ice No <laughs> <laughs> Cool. <laughs> we then go to Tony Schiavone with Gordon Soli. Um, they chat about Vader versus Sting. It was a nice little chat. Uh, this segment's called, I think, WCW Up Close. Um, and we get told from now on, Gordon Soli will actually host it from next week onwards. So that should be pretty good. And then we go to Tony Schiavone with Vader and Harley and Barry Windham, which is always good. I love um, Harley Race and Vader's combo. I just think they're brilliant. So good stuff all around. Yep. When they do it, I really like their like interview style. It does give it a bit of gravitas that you don't get uh I think with the competition. I think up until the NWO, like WCW had the the reputation, I guess, of always just being the wrestling show and then for being like a failed copy of the WWF. But in this era right now, they've got a lot of good promos between Sting and Vader and Harley and you know, a, a few other guys in the company, they actually put together some pretty entertaining segments. Yeah, in, in a way that's different, which is what I like. And speaking of different, <laughs> the next match, Max Payne versus Johnny Gunn. Um, Max Payne and the Wrecking Crew, I hope like they both like sail off to the AWA or something very soon because they're really bringing my enthusiasm for WCW down. We, we get like someone good and then someone shit in that order constantly. This guy, I know he ends up there, but this guy's just a WWE failed gimmick. He shouldn't be anywhere near WCW. No. Johnny Gunn goes for some pin attempts. Uh, Max Payne is just there to be bounced off of. He really offers nothing else. And then he gets a win with a Fujiwara armbar. I just, yeah, this is just shit. He's, I think your creator wrestler um, comment earlier was quite apt because it's something one of my mates would do, like create this big, horrible-looking creature who somehow uses a Fujiwara armbar for the finisher. Even his finisher doesn't make sense. He's, 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 all right, he's big compared to the other guys. Give him a power move. I don't think he's coordinated enough, but that's just me. He goes up to the camera and says, check it out, I'm here to stay, and I think, fuck, I hope not. Pretty much that's the uh, end of a career when somebody does that, so we're okay, I think. <laughs> Goodbye. Tony Schiavone then is with Sting and Dustin Rhodes. Um, they cut a pretty 
bland face promo, not one of Sting's best. And then we see the heels kicking the Barbarian out of their little faction. So that was um, Paul Orndorff and Vader and Harley basically got rid of him and he became an outcast like Cactus Jack. So that's how their little partnership that we've seen off and on comes about. Nice little recap. Yeah, right before we go into Mr. Wonderful versus the Barbarian. Orndorff jumps him early. Um, Barbarian comes back with a corner clothesline and a boot. Both guys seem a little bit outdated for me at this point. It's 1993. Paul Orndorff's biggest run was sort of 87. <clears throat> and the Barbarian's gone back to wearing his Powers of Pain get-up, which was, again, like he, he stopped wearing in 1989. So whilst both guys can still go look great and have plenty to offer, I can't help but feel like they both needed a little bit of repackaging here. Yeah, it's they've gone backwards, not uh, evolved. Their wrestling is still. You know, I mean, a uh, uh, spoiler warning. I, I quite enjoyed this for a Hoss Fest, but they, they're not going to go up the card like this. No, I agree. They brawl along the outside, uh, exchanging strikes. Barbarian hits a slam and then a power slam for a two. Um, we get a awful ending where Barbarian thinks he's won after the two count and just turns around. Paul Orndorff then hits him with a German suplex. Barbarian's shoulder isn't on the mat, though, so the referee just sort of bumps his shoulder down to the mat to help them and then counts the three. It's a really, really bad finish. Yes, it, it's a cluster. But otherwise, decent match, like you said. Like, it just... Yeah, ended on a bit of a damp squib, but other than that, it was it was pretty decent. Makes me wonder if Bob's was doing that thing of uh, keeping his shoulder up so he can try and sell the angle that he wasn't pinned properly. Yeah, quite possibly, quite possibly. And the referee's like, no, Sonny, I know the finish. Get that shoulder down. <laughs> From there, we go to our main event of the evening. It is Barry Windham and Vader taking on Dustin Rhodes and Sting. Um, we've finally got a belt for Dustin Rhodes two weeks after winning the United States Championship Tournament, so that's pretty good. Nothing else signing a champion. Uh, someone you want to push is not having the belt for them. Oh, absolutely. Sting hits a hip toss and a drop kick. Uh, this is a great main event for a Saturday night show, by the way. Like, for you know, some good star power here. Barry Windham hits a suplex for a two before um, Dustin Rhodes hits a backdrop and a clothesline. Vader comes in and clotheslines Dustin inside out and then hits a Samoan drop and a second rope hoe train. So some really, really cool offense from Vader. He proper lays it in. I love watching Vader. We get a short clothesline and then a big Barry Windham DDT. Vader hits a slam but misses a top rope clothesline. Manages to hit a splash afterwards though and a suplex. A pretty long beat down on, on Dustin before he fights back with a drop kick. Vader, though, splashes him and Sting saves him. Dustin hits a bulldog and the crowd are begging for the hot tag to Sting, which they get. We get a Sting a splash and then Race uh, gets involved in the brawl with Dustin on the floor. The heels double team and then hit the referee for a DQ. They whip Sting with the strap before the, the leather strap we talked about earlier, before the babyface locker room empties out to make the save to a pretty hot ending to the show, I have to say. Now, I'm usually against these kind of shenanigans, but in this situation, I'll uh, I'll give it a pass because actually, you were, they, they made you want more. Damn, we almost oh. got the heels, but they, uh, they, they won. 
and I don't mind the locker room emptying, although it's amazing how many, uh, when locker room's empty, how few top card baby faces appear. Oh, yeah. There's no there's no Hulk Hogan, Macho Man level guys coming out to break up a brawl. No, no, it's, uh, it's Dolph, well, I wouldn't say Dolph Ziggler, but it's even lower than that. <laughs> but no, I, I quite enjoyed this main event. I thought it was really good. Um, Vader and Sting have got good chemistry. Dustin Rhodes is very young here and a perfect candidate to take sort of the long heat segment. Uh, Barry Windham's coming into his own as a vicious heel. Um, I've just really enjoyed this all round, and Harley Race as a manager just adds to it. Yeah, yeah, it was. If you say it was a DQ, I think modernized like well what's the point and this is one of those matches that went at length was a dq and i didn't feel cheated because I, I generally dislike matches that go over 10 15 minutes and then the heel smacks the ref and it's like why didn't you do it in the first place <laughs> I'll, I'll definitely agree with you on that but yeah no this was this was definitely quality um so that takes us to the end of the show where we've got to go down and pick which show had the most quality overall. Are you ready to do this? Uh, yeah, I, th- I think we might be uh, working on a scale of what was less worse, but we'll go for it. <laughs> okay, so let's start with storylines. Which show do you think advanced their storylines the most? Now, as much as the uh, ballad of the beefer was good, it was ruined by the fact that he ruined it himself. So... Storyline-wise, you've got the Barbarian uh, little story with Orndorff. You've got the Sting story with Dustin and Barry and Vader, which I thought was good. And also, you had the White Castle of here. So I think, overall, everything moved on a lot better in uh, WCW Saturday night. I agree completely. Um, There was really only the story of um, Beefcake on Raw, everything else, and it was sort of left out. WCW advanced three or four storylines of which you name, so I completely agree with you. Um, all the names involved in those storyline advancements meant for a higher caliber of, of um, wrestler on the show as well, so I went with WCW for character um, feature as well. Did you agree with that, or did you think Raw had more on, on the show? No, WCW, hands down. This is a, This is a show that gave us Damien Demento. So <laughs> I also went with them for crowd heat, not because they had an especially raucous crowd, but Raw's crowd were actively rebelling against Raw and WCW's crowd liked what they saw. So I went with WCW on that one too. Yeah, this was definitely a case of what they like to call Bizarro World, which just translates to no the fan doesn't want this shit. The um, <laughs> the one category I did give to the Fed, though, was production value. I normally do, but um, WCW having to cut out the Leonard Skinner and then a couple of other little bits and pieces compared to Raw, who seemed to be getting their timing on a few things down pat, meant that I, I went with Raw for production. Did you agree with me, or did you spot something that I didn't see? No, no. Raw will win unless they fuck it up. I think that, that category almost always, it's just... Raw looks as if it's time, and WCW still looks as if it's still 1988. Um, the main event was pretty much the of WCW. The only match I really, truly enjoyed, uh, Barbarian and Orndorff, was okay. I didn't enjoy any of the matches over in the WWF. Um, nothing really stood out for me, so I actually went with WCW, which for my side of things gave them a pretty lofty win. What about you? 
Same here. Uh, I mean, it took into account that you had uh, Ben Warren, the Z-Man. <laughs> Sorry, Z-Man. I'm not American. Uh, and overall, I thought the matches... I think Raw was uh, more jobbers. It felt like more of... a heel, uh, Sorry, a wrestler versus jobber. Whereas I felt like WCW at least gave you some wrestlers, even though they were maybe doing the job, they were more on the same level so they could at least look like they were competitive. So overall, I just thought the match quality was far better on WCW side. Absolutely. I mean, WCW had like a couple of jobbers, but it was almost like mid-card versus lower card as opposed to WWF being mid-card versus jobber. So there was definitely a, a step up in the opponent quality over in WCW compared to the guys being featured. And um, Benoit getting the win I didn't see coming as well. So I have to say, like, overall, I thought, this WCW show was was really good. A couple of sour spots, mostly anything to do with Max Payne. But, um, yeah, really, really good. Raw was quick, so I didn't hate it. But I'm definitely looking forward to having a, a Battle Royal or something a bit different to sink our teeth into in the next episode. Raw definitely suffered by its week three, and there was no what I would call big names on that show. At least the week before, we had uh, Perfect and Flair... And then we've had Macho Man, uh, whereas this week there were just people they were trying to get over, which you've got to have someone that's that, that's marquee quality. Yeah, no, like Flair obviously left the week before, but no perfect after his triumph, uh, triumphant win. No Michaels, no Brett, no Undertaker, you know, March on commentary just yeah not great at all no razor so many guys missing but we haven't seen said, razor yet well no we've seen him for one promo i think yeah so there's there's better things to come for the bad man on, on raw but that will do it for this episode so another one in the can another bit of early 90s wrestling coming out anything you want to um say or plug before we head out richie yeah no i, I think uh, anybody who's listened to this should, should shouldn't listen to what the history books say and go back and uh, give it a go because I'm, I'm I am amazed how watchable WCW is at this point and it's renowned for being a bit iffy. Yeah, I agree. There's some really hidden gems in here that I never would have thought to go looking for. So if you want to check it out, you could do worse than this. We'll certainly tell you which was the best episode week in, week out and let you go and skip the duds if you want as well. But thank you, everybody, for listening. Any feedback or advice, throw my way on Twitter. Otherwise, um, sayonara for today. Thank you very much, Richie. To the motherfuckers.